0: Free Church is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. To be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. I hope you hear in that mission statement not only the, the wonder of the words of the Great Commission of our Lord, but I hope that you also hear the balance written right into the Great Commission of our Lord. Our mission has built within it a profound concern on the one hand for health and depth and breadth, I'm going to be that kind of church, sorry, depth and health and faithfulness rather, and then at the same time, the exact same time, we have a passion for growth and for breadth and for fruitfulness One way we say it is that we want to be a church that gets the gospel right in order to get the gospel, finish it, out. Celebrate, demonstrate, communicate Jesus. Learning, loving, living the gospel. Heads, hearts, hands ablaze for Jesus. With the message of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. My life verses, if I had some, would be Psalm 71, verses 23 and 24, where the psalmist says, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed, and of your righteous help, my tongue will talk all the day long. That's a disciple, in my estimation. Joy-driven, God-centered, gospel-saturated, spirit-empowered, mission-driven. I want to be that way. And I want to do anything I can to be a part of other people becoming that way. How about you? This morning, it is our exquisite privilege to open our Bibles to John 13, beginning in verse 1. I trust that you already do have your Bibles open Give you a moment to do that if you haven't. It's page 900 in the Red Bibles. In our study of John's Gospel, we've come to what is sometimes known as the Upper Room Discourse. The Upper Room Discourse. It's chapters 13 to 17. In other words, it's what Jesus said to his disciples the night that he was betrayed. These five chapters are a manual for discipleship. If our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus, we could do a whole lot worse for Lent than to sit into John 13 to 17 over these next six weeks. In these chapters, Jesus is holding a workshop on discipleship. I have have four points today, so let's get right to it. Point number one, if you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, Discern the convictions that anchored the Savior's service. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, discern the convictions that anchored the Savior's service. Look with me once again at chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Notice at least four explicit realities that Jesus knew as he rose from supper. What Jesus knew drove him to service. You see that here? Knowledge is power. And Jesus' knowledge here is pressed into the service of self-sacrificing love. He loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. What knowledge propelled and urged Jesus to rise from supper, lay aside his outer garments, and wash his disciples' feet? Four truths. Verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God. Taken together, what's John saying? Here's what I think he's saying Jesus knew that his Father had everything under control, it's time for him to die. And God has entrusted the rescue of human beings from their sins into his care. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. And you know what that created in Jesus? Power. It created freedom and liberty and openness. And don't miss it. Freedom to serve. I'll never forget one of my mentors in Chicago, Raymond, looked at me one time. He said, Dave, as a pastor, you have authority to serve. Jesus knew that his father had everything under control. God's exhaustive sovereignty over all things, even his own authority over all things, drew him into service. Just humble, self-effacing, lowly service. Now, we need to be careful not to overestimate the demeaning nature of foot washing in the first century. We could overdo this. But at the same time, let's be aware of the revolutionary nature of someone like Jesus doing this. Wives washed their husband's feet in the first century. Children washed their parents' feet in the first century. Disciples washed their rabbi's feet. They would have gladly washed his feet they would have balked at washing one another's feet. They simply don't know where to file it that he's going to wash their feet. You feel that? And why does Jesus do this? Because knowledge is power. His Father's in charge. And these truths drive our Lord to perform service rather than demand it. I hope it works that way in your life, too. Knowledge is power. Every devotional time that you have, every family worship time that you lead, every sermon that you listen to, every Christian book that you read, it's lighter fluid for the flame of love. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our instruction is love. Love. Your learning should serve to contribute to concrete living. Your theological learning should translate to concrete living. Uh, Gary Pettis shared with me recently, he read a book where the author claimed that the essence of evil is the person who knows the most but does the least. I think that's about right. To whom much has been given, much will be required. And what Jesus knew drove him to action. If you want to be, if you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, then the first step, according to this passage, is to discern the convictions that anchored the Savior's service. Secondly, if you you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, receive the cleansing for the stain of your sin that only Christ can provide. you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, receive the cleansing for the stain of your sin that only Christ can provide. Look with me now at verses 6 to 11. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, Not all of you are clean. So, The the radical and the the innovative nature of Jesus performing service here, that's not lost on Peter, right? That's why he gets the reaction he gets out of Simon Peter. What's clear enough in verses 6 and 8 is that Peter doesn't understand what Jesus is doing, and that highlights the glory of what Jesus is doing. When Peter questions him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And then he, he rebukes Jesus. You never wash my feet. I don't know what you think you're doing. You will never wash my feet. Lord, you're too great to serve me. Let me serve you. And you know what? Jesus will not be robbed of his glory that way. Even if we mean well, like Simon Peter. Mark 1045 is plain enough. Mark 1045, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to be served. That would imply that Jesus has needs. Which he doesn't. He has no deficiencies. Jesus is not impoverished in any way. And he's not dirty. So unlike us. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, then you have to You have to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You say, well, great. How do I do that? Answer, let him wash you. You're filthy. Your sin and my sin are so offensive to him. We are obscenely soiled by our sin. Now, some of you are disciples. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You've been sprinkled clean by the new birth. That's the way that Paul puts it in Titus 3.5, the washing of regeneration. You're cleansed initially. You're cleansed. But some of you, like the prodigal son, have gone a, a long way off into the far country. Some of you are more like the elder brother and you've been doing your sinning right here at home, unaware of the stain. Either way, you need him to wash you. You say, but I've been washed. To which I would answer, why do you think that verse 8 isn't a present continuous imperative for the Christian life. If you're living in sin right now as a disciple of Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying to you, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You hear his voice today? If so, don't harden your heart. 1 John 1.9 was written for us. It was written for believers. John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if you're with us today and you know you're not a Christian, you you know you're not clean, I want to invite you today to get clean. All your stains today can be washed away. Grace reigns in this church regularly Happens every time we get together All your stains can be washed away Showers blow through here regularly You can be washed and be spotless and sparkling this morning If you come to Jesus and receive the cleansing for the stain of your sin That only Christ can provide Third point Understand that as students, we are not above our teacher. Understand that as students, we are not above our teacher. Uh, Let's continue on to verses 12 to 17. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example so that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See what Jesus is doing here? This is my favorite part of the text, verses 12 to 17. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. He's unfolding to them in no uncertain terms precisely what he's just done for them. He gave them a sign, and now he's going to explain the sign. And do you you see what he's doing? He's pulling rank on them. This is unbelievable. But instead of using his authority to smash people, he's using his authority to draw godliness out of them. This is what leaders do. So husbands, parents, pastors, elders, deacons, community group leaders, employers, lend me your ears just for a minute. How does Jesus lead? By driving people with a whip or by drawing them with wonder? Does he lead by authoritatively watching over them or by wooing them? Does he demand exemplary behavior or demonstrate exemplary behavior? Well, he does the second so that he can do the first. Verse 15 is so chock full of integrity. I've given you an example that you should also do as I've done to you. Jesus is a leader worth following. He puts his money where his mouth is. Every time he can be trusted. And did you notice, too, um, he's not just turning the tables of first century master servant expectations? That's kind of what the commentaries tell you. Okay whatever he's doing more than that he is creating a concrete category in their minds of a foot washing savior he does this because without this conceptual image in their brains a crucified savior will be impossible for them to take on board he's creating expectations foot washing is huge But it's nothing compared to the death of Christ on a Roman torture device. Disciple-making is not about getting big with lots of people around you. It's about conformity to the image of Jesus who was tortured and pierced through by six-inch spikes. Paul made disciples of Jesus, and it was Paul the disciple-maker who said things like... I die every day. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, understand that as students we are not above our teacher. If you are a follower of Jesus, are you stooping to serve people? Are you ready to suffer and to die in Jesus' name? Do you have the stomach to call others to do this? If you want to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, students are not above our teacher. Final point today. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, beware the very real potential for betrayal. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, beware the very real potential for betrayal. I, I wish I didn't have a fourth point this morning. It would be a lot easier just to go to lunch right now. And if, if it were up to me, I wouldn't preach this point, but it's, it's not up to me. My job is not to preach what I wish were here or to avoid what I wish weren't here, but rather to simply preach what is here. And what is here is enough to keep you up nights. If you love people, you'll lose sleep. Look with me at verses 18 to 30. I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I've chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I'm he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus to whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. The son of Simon Iscariot. Then, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. in our battle against sin and satan it is important for us to connect the dots i think between john 13:2 and john 13:27 okay in john 13:2 we read the devil had already put it into the heart of judas iscariot to betray him and then verse 27 we read after he had taken the morsel satan entered into him This happens inside of a meal. The seed of betrayal had been planted in verse 2. The weed of betrayal has grown in verse 27. How does Satan work? By increments. Nobody falls away from the Lord. They walk away. One step at a time. So pay attention to yourselves. Be vigilant. Weed out the garden of your heart every day. Because if you don't, you're going to become so overrun by temptation and sin to such a degree that, like Judas, you can't turn back. And if you think I'm preaching that you can lose your salvation, you're misunderstanding me. Judas never had it. He was chosen by Jesus. He was chosen not to go the distance. As early as John 6, 71, Jesus says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? And John comments, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. In verse 18, we read it, Jesus is, is far more explicit. I, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. Now, there's, there's mystery here. Uh, no matter how you pitch on this question, whether you believe that you can actually lose your salvation or not once, once you're in, there is some mystery here, I would grant. But let's not miss the forest for the trees here. If you are not warnable, you're in danger. Beware the very real potential for betrayal. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. It's not for no reason that we are commanded to pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not for nothing that Jude 21 calls us to keep ourselves in the love of God. If you're a disciple of Christ, you should make Psalm 119, 117 your daily prayer. Psalm 119, 117, the psalmist cries out to God, hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. Beware the very real potential for betrayal. And if you want to make disciples of Jesus, just be wise and be warned. If you do this long enough, if you build into enough people, some of them will fall away. It just happens. The cost is high. The body count in discipleship is intimidating. We could just go through the sanctuary and count off 12 right now. One, two. And we would see maybe a percentage. If you invest in people, if you give your life to people, guess what? They will turn on you. But Jesus won't. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ, beware the very real potential for betrayal. If you want to make disciples of Jesus Christ... Discern the convictions that anchored the Savior's service. Receive the cleansing for the stain of your sin that only Christ can provide. Understand that as students we're not above our teacher and beware beware the very real potential for betrayal. I hope it's becoming increasingly clear to you that our, our goal here is not to gather the biggest crowd in town. Our mission is not to be the coolest church in the West Tonka area. Our mission is not to fill up your calendars with lots of good church programs. Our mission sure as heck isn't to take your money. We don't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your money. Our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Leading unbelievers to saving faith in him. Helping believers take steps of faith that are congruent to who they are. Raising up leaders to release. Multiplying community groups so that we can saturate this city with the influence of the gospel. And then one day, by God's grace, I dream planting churches for the glory of God, for the joy of God's people, and for the ingathering of all of Christ's sheep. To be and make disciples of Jesus Christ, that's our mission. Let's get to it this week. Let's pray.